I think far too often our lives are controlled by external forces. They're not led nearly as much as we like to think by conviction or by uh, direction or reflection, but they're controlled by some level of external forces, whether it's uh, peer pressure, fame, and even at the smallest levels, popularity, power, rejection. The, the external forces, the people around us, too often shape what we do, how we live, even sometimes derailing well-laid-out plans. We're used to seeing external forces control our lives and control our destinies. We're used to seeing that work. We're, we're comfortable now at this point with the fact that we know everybody is marketing us, believing that their goal is to get us to change what we're going to do. Do it quicker, do it faster, do more. We're used to people trying to sell us something and then us buying it and then trying to figure out what we're going to do in the backlash of that. We're used to seeing that work. External forces, the people around you controlling your life, can be subtle. It can be, quite honestly, not so subtle. Overwhelming and debilitating. Some of you are no doubt in the process of wrestling with why is it that you're so influenced by what others think, by how they treat you. Why are you so taken with a little bit of fame? There's this great scene in the office where Dwight is given authority to determine who works one Saturday. And it goes to his head and Jim said, Oh my God, this is so sad. Never have I seen so little power go to someone's head. And when we're reflective, we think how often so little fame, so little acceptance, so little pressure, why did that alter how we lived? We're used to seeing that work. Jesus doesn't play along. He doesn't play the game. He's seemingly impervious to the external forces that we are prey to and that we use on others. And we're going to look at a passage today and watch that play out. And I've got to give you a little background to uh, the passage, understand the history, a little bit. We're going to be looking at a scene in Luke chapter 4. And it, it comes right on the heels, chronologically, of last week where Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth. And it didn't end that well when people try to throw you off a cliff. You know, it's not the ending you were shooting for. So it didn't end that well. And now he's in... In, in Capernaum. And uh, Capernaum was a, a seaside town that was, even for a relatively small size, it, it had some influence because it was a trade route. And people would come through there and, and taxes were, were levied by tax collectors like, like the one Jesus calls himself, Matthew. And it was a place where people bought produce and they fueled up. And so not, it was a small town, but lots of people came through. And so Really, if, if you're going to have a, a ministry in a sort of a backwards place like, like uh, Galilee, Capernaum's a good spot to choose for some influence. People come in, they hear the message, they take it out. That's where Jesus is. I'm going to read the passage to you and show you what happens there. Again, I'm reading in, in Luke chapter 4, and that Luke is the only gospel account we'll be looking at throughout this series. And this is what it said. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. That will be Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever 
and it left her. I just always find that an interesting phrase. Don't really know what to do with it. He rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait in them. Okay, this is good. You're trying to get a movement going? This is good. You know, you, somebody's sick, you tell them to be better, they're better. Boom. All right, so it starts to catch on. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You're the Son of God, but he rebuked them. Common phrase. And would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Okay. Groundswell. You know, like that, that song, Snowpatrol, Take Back the City. You know, with a, a love and a, a passion, you, you seek to take back a city and see something profound happen in it. They're taking back the city. They're taking back the city of Capernaum. All sorts of good things are happening. This is the moment. The tipping point, you start, it starts to, to, to blow up and Jesus says two things that his disciples find curious and in the end kind of awkward. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that's why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So, groundswell, movement, you know, and suddenly they look around, crowds are gathering, where's Jesus? I mean, you can see the person with the producer headset going on, say, okay, everything's ready. People, uh, where's, where's Jesus? <laughs> okay, we got, we got the thing going. People are coming to be healed. We got a big crowd. Here's our moment. Where's Jesus? Somebody go find Jesus. So they go out and they look for him, and he's off by himself somewhere. And they bring him down. It's like, okay, <laughs> Jesus, don't do that again. <laughs> kind of need you here. In the midst of this thing, you know, you're the, you're the star. And he comes there, and as they gather him, he says, oh, we're going to go. Um, we're going to go? Yeah, we're going to go. Yeah, I'm going to head off to some other towns. This is our moment. This is it. Our work is paid off. Our passion is paid off. We've hit it. The groundswell has begun. Let's go with it. Let's take the wave and go with it. Jesus, this is a great town to do this. Let's stay put. They tried to prevent him from leaving. And he's not real susceptible to peer pressure. And he says, nope, we're going. You're welcome to come with me. I'm going. They shook their heads. Crazy prophets. And... Some of them said, all right, we'll go with you. And they launched off with them to other towns. Now, here's what's kind of curious. Capernaum was a, 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 a big place for Jesus. All sorts of miracles happened there, and Peter lived there. It was, it was, a, it was one of his home bases. It wasn't like he was never coming back. He wasn't you know, saying, well, I have, I've done all I can do here, I'm off. He would, he'd come back. He'd make it a seat of his of his, of his activity over that three-year ministry he had. And so, he, he really, he could have easily said, all right, I really wanted to head out, but okay, we can, all right, you're right, it's going well. We can take another week, 10 days, two weeks max, and then we'll go on. I mean, really, he's going to come back. Why, why has he got to go now? Why does he got to go now in the midst of the movement? It's like, you know, let's say we're the group that says, we take, we're going to take back the city. We have passion, we have energy, and then it starts to happen, and we go, eh, let's go to another city. Why? Why does he move at this critical moment? 
well, I don't know the mind of Jesus. And so I don't know everything that went through his mind, obviously. But there's an important thing that happens here that's extremely instructive for us. And here's, here, here's, what, here's what's true. I'm trying to change that phrase. Here's what's true. It's not the thing. Here's what's true. We could point out all sorts of things. When we, you know, you talk about, so what, what, are the, what, what is it about Jesus that allows him to overcome the pressure to stay? You know, what is it about him that allows him to stay on course, stay on trajectory? And we'll touch that a little bit. You know, we can talk about the forces that plague us and keep us from living out our convictions. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But I think the more important, more important point is this. Jesus has a very practical, hands-on ministry going on. He's laying hands on people. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. Hands dirty. And he is concerned that the people are going to miss that there are two components, two primary vehicles to the restoration of our souls and to us being used to impact people. And they are the practical and the prophetic. They are truth, content, revelation, and they are down-to-earth action. And so he makes this screeching halt in the midst of what's going on because he wants them to know that, yes, the practical is terribly important, but you cannot miss the prophetic. This is what I mean by that. You know how I love to go to two sides of the stage? And so there really are two places that most of us... And there's a continuum here. But there are two places that we can live our lives. One of them is the prophetic. And the person who lives the more prophetic life, we're about concepts. We, we love new information. And we love to live in our own little world. I've heard that that's true of some people. It is very much me. I, I can live in my own little world. Give me a few moments and I'll do that even with the rest of you here. I would just... An idea, a concept. I love to live in concepts. The danger for someone like that is I'm living in concepts. I got lots of truth. You all, you know, you got some of you got your notebooks. That is fine. Have your notebooks. I use it as a foil, and I don't mean to on you personally. I use it as a foil because one of the things I've seen, it's not you all, one of the things I've seen in the American church is the tendency to fill up our notebooks. We got lots of information. We're not doing a you-know-what thing with it. <laughs> but we, we know stuff. But when it comes to getting our hands dirty, not, not so much. Christianity is a hands-dirty religion. It, it's, it's not a religion of pithy sayings, you know, and bumper stickers and posters on your wall, no matter what you've seen. It's a very down-to-earth, hands-dirty, practical action faith. It's lived out in the streets. It's lived out in very practical moments. So, some of us get over here. Some, we sit over here. We're all about action. We're doing stuff. We don't know why we're doing it, but we're doing stuff. Because that's what we do. We act. We don't. And the trajectory of our lives is whatever the wind does 
whenever pressure hits us because we, we don't conceptualize we just do stuff after 9-11 and by the way I'm going funny at this moment I know it doesn't seem like it after 9-11 I was talking to Kurt earlier we talked about this scene and after 9-11 The Onion stopped um, publishing for a week because they thought this isn't funny and so they stopped publishing for a week and after a week they decided okay there's some things we have to talk about and one of them was one of the headline ones after 9-11 woman doesn't know what to do bakes cake woman doesn't know what to do bakes cake I gotta do something I know 3,000 people died I'll bake a cake why? I don't know because we just act some of you live over in this corner you're just acting you have no idea why Honestly, you have no idea why. Now, why is this important? Two broad ways. You've got to, the, the, the place of restoration for us and others is visionary action. It is action that's informed by content, truth, revelation. For example, if you are a parent... And if you have little children, just hypothetically for some of you, if you have a parent with little children, once it gets over one, and then two, it starts to get outside your control. And you can live your entire life just saying, what's my goal? The house not to burn down, you know? <laughs> get through today with nobody throwing up on me. Little things, you know? And you're just, you honestly, life is just sweeping you along. And you're just acting. You're just, you're just moving. You just keep moving forward. Some of you are students, and it's the same way. What's your goal? Just to finish this. Just to, if I can get the paper done, does it have to be good? No, just to finish this, just to get it out. That'd be great. In parenting, here's the problem. You spend your life just acting without a bigger picture a trajectory, some content that informs your actions, who knows where you're going to end up? If I would give you one piece of semi-patronizing advice, having three children, the youngest now ten, it, it would be this. Take ten minutes. Take an hour. Get some content, some prophetic truth to you from a book, from a friend from talking to God about it and determine just this. When my kid, they're six months old, when my child leaves my home, what do I want to be true? If I could sum it up in three words, what do I want to be true of my child when they leave their home, when they leave my home? What's the trajectory that will inform my actions so I'm not just spinning on a wheel doing whatever? What do you want? If you're married, take a little bit of time and set the trajectory for your marriage so you're not simply acting and reacting. So you have a place that you intend to see it go. If you're a student and you're in a career, take the time to understand the content that allows you to live a life with some sense of trajectory and not simply 
act. Jesus was afraid that in that moment, people were just going to start acting. And they were going to miss the bigger picture. And there was a massively big picture. Some of you are just living day to day, honestly. You're influenced by a bunch of different forces, and you got no freaking idea what the big picture is. I understand. I'm stunned at how often my life is lived contentless, just acting. What you need is a life of action that's informed by vision. I find it interesting, perhaps not incidental, that when Jesus is about to have to walk into this difficult situation with his disciples and say, we're about to leave, it says, then he went out to a solitary place and prayed. You'll see this, by the way, over and over again in Jesus' life, as something big is about to happen, he goes off by himself in a solitary place and he prays. Why? Because his life of visionary action is fueled by a relationship with God where his convictions and his trajectory are steeled. Away from the press of what everybody else is saying, of how fame and glory or failure and tragedy are informing our actions, he pulls back and he steals his soul in the place of connection with his Father. For some of you, I understand this sounds foreign. We can help you with this. There's some great resources on our back table about how do you explore that place where you can connect with God in the crush of life so that you can be a person who lives out of conviction and action. I will just say this before I move on. Your life will get away from you. It will. Your life will get away from you. You will live over here just thinking. Just thinking. Or you will live over here just reacting. Unless you come to that place of settled visionary action where your life is informed by truth, by content. And out of that, you make your choices. It's what you and I need. Any area of our life. It's also what the world needs. This world that we live, this city that we hope to take back, individual souls that we'd like to see restored, they need to see visionary action. They need to see somebody actually touching them. Actually caring about the needs of their life. And they need to see somebody who's speaking a bigger truth about where their life can go. I'll put it this way. Jesus, at one point when he's being tempted in in the desert, he he says to Satan, um, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And, and we're like, if you're one of those people who's about to just in living in the spiritual realm, you're like, well, there you go. I mean, Jesus said it. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Let's not get caught up in the physical here. But by everywhere that proceeds out of the path of God, this wins. Content, revelation, truth wins. 
hold it. Then, as he's teaching his disciples how to pray, a, a decidedly spiritual activity, this is one of the things he says, and give us today our daily bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Give us today our daily bread. What was Jesus saying? You've got to live in both. People need to see them both. Too long. Too long. The followers of Christ have lived in such a way that people wondered, sure, you've got things to say to us, but will you touch us? Will you actually care about my life? I was, uh, Friday night, I was with the, uh, a thing that the Botswana team did, or, or Africa teams, they came back, they were, they were telling stories, each one, each of the six people were telling stories about what happened, and one key story for most of them, and then we would pray for them, and it was, there was a number of parts that were very, very powerful, and, and two things that were striking about that, one is that the story that a number of them told about a woman named Esther, who had AIDS, and as, as Kathy Grace put at one point, like you have to understand, they, they don't have um, tissue. And they don't have paper towels. She doesn't have towels. She had a blanket. And that blanket with sores and with sweat and dirt was what she used. And she held that blanket around her. And nobody would touch her. You see, a lot of what the pain of AIDS is, it's not just dying. You hear that statement? It's not just dying. It's the shame and ostracization. Nobody wants to touch him. And then she said she looked over and there was Kurt, her husband, with his arms around Esther, pulling her tight to himself. You know, that the team struggled so much with what do we do? What do we do here? How do we make a difference in this place? And we are, as a community are, are trying to figure out how do, how do we do something that's long-term, that's visionary action? But in that moment, in that singular moment, Kurt touched her. He didn't say, Esther, I want you to know that God loves you. He said, Esther, I love you. And he held her. Christianity is a very, very hands-dirty, down-to-earth faith. It's about people whose souls are impacted by truth, by content, by love of a Savior. And so we touch people. We help them learn how to get bread. We help them to feel love in tangible ways. We speak truth, but we touch people. Visionary action. It's what you need in every sphere of your life. It's what our city needs. We become people who can live this out at some level when we realize that we have been embraced by a Savior who gave visionary action. Communion will demonstrate this in a powerful and palpable way. But I want you to think about this. This is, this is what Jesus did. From eternity past, he had made a plan that he wanted to restore you. You. And millions and billions of others who would come. But he wanted to restore you. And he knew that what you needed is that you needed forgiveness. 
You needed that message spoken to you, that your life could be forgiven. But you actually needed somebody to pay a penalty for you and forgive you. And so this plan was made. And on this night that we're going to demonstrate with communion, it's at the culminating point. It's at, it's at that place where Jesus has lived in content and revelation and will I act? Will I, in this moment, will I act for these people? It's going to happen. The only thing that needs to happen for restoration for your soul, the only thing that needs to happen is for the him to say, Father, your will be done. And then to allow himself to be arrested, convicted, crucified, and killed. That's all. He's going to have to act. And so, as he often does, he goes off and he prays. And he says, Father, this is really hard. (laughs) But your will, not mine. And then he, with a clear trajectory on his life, lifts his head and walks to the cross. So that you can be alive that restoration can begin so that you can live lives of dignity and purpose so that your souls can start to get restored and so you can join the part of that army who is going out into the world with a message and with your hands and your feet visionary action is what restores your soul it's what our world needs to see as we come to communion today I invite you If you are a follower of Jesus and you still wonder, but how well am I following? If you have received what he has done for you, I invite you to come forward as we take communion. I invite you to share this moment where it's palpable. It's a real physical activity, but it represents a spiritual communion with our Savior. I invite you to come forward and share this moment with us, whether you're part of Warehouse or not. If you're somebody who is not in faith, if you've never come to that place of asking Jesus to come into your life, then I encourage you to wait today because this is the place of intended to be an intense community with God and I don't want it to become a meaningless ritual for you. That tends to deaden our souls and I would not have that for you. If you're someone who today who is saying restoration, to not be live my life by every whim, to find a Savior who grasped my soul, and intends to restore me and stood by his words and didn't simply say he loved me but proved it, I'm in. Then I invite you to come forward and receive it with us. Jesus, having made that decision, looked up at his disciples and said, All right, this is my body. It'll be broken for you. All of you take it. And then he took a cup of wine and he said, This cup of wine, this represents my blood, and it will be shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. I'm going to ask the communion service to come forward, and I'm going to pray for us just for a moment as the communion service come forward. I'm going to serve them, and then once I do so, they're going to move into five stations around the room, and as they do that, then I will invite you to go to any one of those stations. And they will gather you into a group of 12. They will serve you. We will pray together. And then they will send you back to your seats. Let's pray. Lord, take this moment, this actual moment in time, and speak to our lives. Let us hear truth that informs how we act. Let us take a moment to not simply react to life. 
Meet us in the midst of this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.